Okay. Um, so we're, we're past the halfway point in 2 Timothy. We're, next week we'll start the last chapter. We're going to get, uh, we'll be in chapter four for probably three more weeks. So this is basically the tail end of this series that we've been in First and Second Timothy since the fall. Uh, we started it in September, and I think this is the 20th sermon in this series so far. Uh, we took a break for Christmas, of course, but, but we've been plugging away in these letters for quite a while, and we're coming to the tail end. But let's just, so let's just remember here why, why Paul, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, wrote these letters. What was the purpose for them? Um, and we've, what we've said basically is, is this, that the, the point of First and Second Timothy ultimately is faithfulness to Jesus. Because of his faithfulness to us, we get to live in faithfulness to him. And First Timothy is a little different than Second because First Timothy is about the church, kind of as a, as a collective group of people walking with Jesus together. Second Timothy is written to, much more personally to uh, a single guy who is working through the Christian life. And basically what Paul's doing through 2 Timothy is saying, hey, I'm about to see the, the end of my life and you have the responsibility to carry on the mission of the church and, and the ministry of the gospel. And so Timothy's been basically being given the steps and the tools that he needs to stay faithful to Jesus. And while that was very specific for him in his need, this whole book is super crucial for us too because we all have the same, not the exact same ministry, but the same responsibility in our lives to stay in the Christian life. We don't want to see people just dumping their faith uh, as, they, as they get disillusioned by life. We, we want to see people finish the race and, and go through to the end still loving Jesus. And and one of the things that 2 Timothy does for us is it gives us those tangible things that we can look to and turn to for help when we're tempted to throw it away. So what we saw last week um, was, was that we need other people to help us walk with Jesus. But we need to find the right people to help us walk with Jesus. And so there was sort of this contrast between those people who will be very, very unhelpful for us and, and then those kinds of examples that will be worth emulating. So we, we need to see the, the need for other people uh, in our lives. But now today, he's going to take a little bit of a different turn and give us another thing. It's, it's not in con- contradiction. It's just another tool that we have uh, to utilize to keep going. And, and that is really what we're going to see is the Bible the Bible itself, which uh, you're in a church, you know, that's what we believe, right? And we teach the Bible. So this will probably be like, yeah, okay, we, we know this. But what Paul does here is he, he gives us some vital things to see about God's word to help us uh, stay in the faith. So look at verse 14. This is where we left off last week. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. So he starts with this, but as for you, Timothy, continue. And so this gets us to the whole theme of the letter, right? We've been talking about this from the beginning of this, that 
This is the point. Continue. And he's going to tell him what to continue in, but the whole point of the letter is to help, help us and help um, the church stay connected to Christ and continue with him. So what are we to continue in? Look at what it says. In what you have learned and have firmly believed. So two things, what you have learned and have firmly believed. What's the, what is the distinction there? Well, basically, Paul's calling on us to keep going in the Christian life in what we've learned about Jesus. Right? So learning is what we know. Learning is what we've learned. It's, it's something that we've, we've picked up information. But we don't just need to know. We also need to believe. Believing is different than knowing because believing gets from the head into the heart. It, it, it's not just information trans- transfer that we need. It's truly and completely uh, knowledge that leads to conviction, to belief, to commitment. Right? And so he says you, you need to keep going to continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed Right? And so both of these things are vital to us walking with Jesus. We need to know what is true and right. We need to learn those things. We also need to actually be convinced that those things are true and, and at the core of our being to, to live out those things as if they matter. Right? That's, that's where learning and belief kind of connect is we, we learn what's true, but then belief is taking it down into the core of who we are and living like this, these things are true. Not just that they're intellectual exercises. You can have all kinds of theoretical conversations about all kinds of things that don't matter to your daily life. But the Christian life is different in that the things we learn from the Bible, the things we learn in, in the scriptures, also need to flow out of us into our, our very hearts. And so we see the need to continue in what has been learned, what has been firmly believed. But where does this learning and belief come from? Let's look at the next uh, sentence here. Verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, So Paul's writing here to Timothy and saying, Listen, from childhood, this is Timothy he's speaking to. Not, it's not true for every person, but in Timothy's case, from his childhood, he was acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings is the Bible. That's what we would call it today. Now, Paul didn't call it the Bible. Uh, that's not the word that the Bible uses for itself, but the writings, the sacred teachings, the, the teachings of the apostles, there's all kinds of ways in which it talks about this. But what we're getting at is the scriptures, right? The Bible. And he says, from childhood, you were acquainted with the sacred writings. I know that's not everybody's story, but, but it is a blessing to think that Timothy and some of us have been able to hear the word of God exposed to it from a young age. And while that may not be true for everyone in this room, those of us who have grown up around the Bible should be grateful for that. 
even if it took us a long time to actually believe it, it's great that we can be acquainted with it. And, but regardless of where in the timeline you were acquainted with the scriptures is not the main issue. The main issue is that we need to find our learning and our conviction from being acquainted with the sacred writings. And so while that, as we walk through that, that's one of the things that church, this church exists to do is to bring the scriptures to bear in your life, to help you be acquainted with it, whether you've been in, in or out of churches your whole life or whether you uh, are brand new to this thing, uh, or whether you've never heard any of this before until you walked in here, regardless of where you're coming from, we want the scriptures to be put in front of you so that you can become acquainted with them and, and, and aware of what they say so that you can learn and be firmly believing what they say to us about Christ. And also, as a as another application here, is that as parents, we have a great responsibility to help our kids become acquainted with the sacred writings. Um, we, we should help our kids learn something of God's word that becomes the seed that faith can grow into. We don't make that growth happen, but we, we are to sow the soil of our kids' hearts and but here, here's something that I, I think is interesting. Paul uses the word acquainted with the sacred writings. He is not saying that from childhood, Timothy was an expert in the sacred writings. He was acquainted with them. He learned something of them. So if you think about being acquainted with someone, uh, think about it as a, it, being acquainted with a person. Well, in that sense, you know something about them, probably their name at the very least, uh, maybe a little bit of biographical details that they've shared with you. But you're not like deeply, deeply aware of who they are. You're not super, super tight with them. You're just acquainted with them. You know something about them that can maybe carry on a conversation for a little bit. But you're not like, this is not like the, the person that you know best in all the world. That's not the, that's not the point of being acquainted. Timothy was not like some super crazy expert in the Bible when he was a kid, but he was seeing it, taught to him. He was exposed to it. He was acquainted with it. And that's what God used in his life to get him to a place of belief and, and, and trust in Jesus, which is ho- hopefully what happens in our lives and in our children's lives if we have children and what we're called to do. I, I think that this is something that parents should take seriously. If, we are, if that's our call in life, not everyone's a parent, that's okay. Um, and, not, and some of you have grown kids and that's, that stage of life is past. But if you're a parent or a grandparent and you have a resp- an opportunity to help sow the seeds of, of faith in your children or grandchildren's lives, you should. You should take advantage of it. But I, I want to emphasize this. I think the way that we do this is so important. Yes, we need to acquaint our kids with the sacred writings, but how we do it is just as important as doing it. Uh, it really is. Like we can, be, we can be so detrimental to our kids in how we approach this. I think um, we need to help our kids see Jesus in the way that actually reflects who Jesus is. So what I mean by that is if, if we're going to be harsh even cruel or overbearing 
with the scriptures towards our kids, that's going to backfire because that, that technique we're employing is not actually going to reflect the heart of Jesus. And it's going to turn sinner, sinful hearts like mine and yours, like, like our kids. We all have sinful hearts. We're going to turn them into rebellion rather than into faith. We need to be mindful about how we're doing this. Um, I think it's really help, really important that we're not overbearing, harsh, or cruel even with the Bible towards our kids. And we should never use the Bible as a, as a weapon against our children. That is going to be, uh, we're going to see where the Bible speaks into some of this in, in this passage, but we've got to be, we got to be careful with this. So let me just give you one quick thing um, before we move on to the next section. I, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert here on any of this, but we just simply do basic stuff, stuff that anybody in this room could employ. Uh, what we do is not every day because it just, you know, life gets away from you sometimes, but as often as we can, before the kids go to sleep, we sit down in the living room and we read the Bible. We read a little section of the Bible. It's not, not rocket science. We actually, when they were really little, we used the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is not like the actual Bible. It's like, tells you the stories in the Bible. And that's where they're at as little kids, right? And as, now as they're a little older in, our, in my house, we, we've moved on to a, a tool called, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I, can't, um, I can't remember. Oh, Unfolding Grace is what the book is called. But basically it's 40 readings, pretty short readings. Takes you five minutes to read it probably has a little explanation of what the passage is talking about and how it connects to the gospel story of Jesus. And so it takes you kind of from through those big movements of the Bible. Um, and in 40 readings, you kind of get the big picture of God's unfolding grace. That's, what, that's the tool we're using now. Now there's a million op- options for that. You don't have to use that one, um, but that's what we're using right now. And we're almost to the end of it. But as you walk through it, you're seeing, okay, how do these Bible stories connect to Christ? And that's really all it needs to be. It doesn't have to be something crazy and something super deep. It just isn't, I don't think that's helpful anyways. Um, and so take, it, take that for whatever it's worth. It may not be worth much, but that's what we do in our household. Because we want our kids to at least have a familiarity or acquaintance with the scriptures. And we'll let God do with that what he wants. Okay, now notice this. It says, How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here we go. This is the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to get us to Jesus and the salvation that he offers us. There's no other point in reading the Bible. That's what it's about. The sacred writings are able to make you wise, but not just wise in a general sense, wise in uh, or for salvation, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul's whole point is, is that the Bible is about Jesus. He, he is giving us salvation and these pages tell us what we need to know to believe in Jesus for salvation. 
The whole Bible is about Christ from beginning to end. And I know it took me a long time in my life, relatively speaking, from the time I came to faith till the time I saw these things, um, to see that the Bible is actually about Jesus. I, I don't think I was ever explicitly taught it this way, but whatever, whatever I absorbed in the church was basically, this is a book about um, how to live this is a book about the right ways to go about life and the wrong ways to go about life. This is a book of morality. That's how I understood it. Now, that wasn't the intention. I know the churches I grew up in, faithful. They taught the Bible. They loved Jesus. I don't know how I got it all twisted up, but I got it twisted up, okay? And my belief at a certain point for a good season of my life was, well, okay, I need to read this Bible so that I know how not to make God mad at me. And that's how I looked at it, was if I just tried to live the right rules, then, I, then God won't be mad at me. And, and that is not the point of the Bible. That's not the point. The Bible has rules. Of course it does. I'm reading through a Bible reading plan. I'm in Leviticus right now. It's horrible. I, I want to get out of it as quickly as I can, right? And I say that jokingly, but Leviticus is brutal, right? Because it's just all these crazy rules. And it's like, that seems very specific. Like what was happening to make this? Well, I, it's just weird, right? You're, you're reading through some of these and you're going, well, that's oddly specific. Hmm. Okay, uh, so it must, something must have been going on there. But regardless, you, you get through these, these rules. There are laws, there are rules, there are commands. We know that, right? But here's the point. We need to see this, that those laws and commands are not meant for us to just go, okay, I'll apply all these to my life. The point of them is actually to show us that we can't live those rules and we need someone who can to live for us. So all of the Old Testament, as brutal as some of it can be for us to read through, is meant to show us, wow, we cannot live up to what God demands. And when we realize that that's what it's there for, we can read those passages in Leviticus and we can read through those, those law sections and go, yeah, I can't live this, but man, there was somebody who did live this and obeyed it perfectly. And his name is Jesus. That's the whole thing, right? That, like, that's where it's getting us to. And that's what Jesus himself tells us. Uh, in John chapter five, he tells the Pharisees that they believe the Bible, they believe Moses, but they don't really believe in Moses because Moses taught about Jesus. So he says, if you were to believe Moses, you would believe me because he was teaching about me. And then he talks about, in, in, after his resurrection in Luke 24, he talks about uh, to his disciples, a couple of his disciples that didn't recognize him after his resurrection. And he's sharing with them the reality that all of the scripture from beginning to end is about him. This is, this is fundamental for us to get, that the Bible gives us what we need for salvation in Christ Jesus. And if we're taking the Bible as anything else, a book of rules, a book of fables, a book of morality tales, uh, or just a book about people that we need to try to copy or live like, we're, we're going we're gonna to miss the whole meaning. We really are. We're going to miss it. So the Bible makes us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That's why primarily we open it and we read it because in it we see Christ and what he's done for us through it all. If we're looking for it, we can see it. Then look at what it says 
verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So the Bible is able to bring us to salvation because it's actually God's words. It is breathed out by God. This, this, this phrase that's translated breathed out by God is just one Greek word that is used nowhere else in the Bible or outside of the Bible. Paul invented this word. And it's a word that means God breathed. Like that's literally just what it is. God breathed. And so Paul made up a word to, to describe what the Bible is. And obviously he made up the word through the inspiration of God's spirit because he's breathing these things out. But we're seeing this is the point of the Bible, that it's breathed out by God. The reason that it makes us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus, is because God is the one who gave us this book. God is the one who gave us these writings. God shares who he is with us. The Bible is inspired fully by God and it finds its source from him. It was not invented by human beings. It was, not prim- it was written down by human beings. God even used those human beings' personalities and, and experiences. It's not like God was just dictating every word that they just had to write down on a, on a tablet. We, we see that God uses the people that are writing these letters and these books, but ultimately they find their source in God and who he is. Through lots of different people over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God put this book together, but it makes us wise for salvation because God is the one behind it. That's why it has power. Then he says that the scripture breathed out by God is profitable. The word profitable means that all of scripture being breathed out by God is useful, beneficial, advantageous. What this means is that scripture is good for us because it is God's word. This whole phrase, this whole sentence could be translated loosely. um, All scripture is God breathed and therefore it's good for you. The Bible is from God and it is for us. It is profitable for us. It is useful. It is beneficial. It is advantageous. Now, why is it profitable? This is where Paul's going to go with this last section. He's going to show us some of the characteristics of Scripture that help us and are beneficial to us. Ready? Here we go. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Teaching. The Bible gives us truth, right? In what you have learned and have firmly believed. So, The Bible is profitable to teach us what we need to know so that we can firmly believe those things. It gives us doctrinal truth. It tells us what is right. It tells us what we ought to believe about God and about ourselves. The Bible is the most honest book you'll ever read. It's the only book that is fully and completely true in all that it says. And so it is profitable to teach us that which is right. And secondly, it says it's profitable for reproof. Reproof is probably not a word we use a whole lot 
Um, at least I, I don't use it a whole lot. Reproof is kind of a negative word, actually. Uh, it's a word that basically is talking about that the, that the Bible shows us what we should not believe. It shows us what we should believe, and then it shows us what we shouldn't believe. Some of your translations may use the word rebuke, which a rebuke is saying to someone, you're wrong about this. So the Bible is, is going to tell us what we should believe because it's profitable for teaching, and it's going to show us what we should not believe to help us avoid sound doctrine or help us to not avoid uh, what is right and to avoid unsound doctrine. So let me, show, let me tell you just real quickly how this worked in my life. I was thinking about this last night. Well, this morning, I woke up about three o'clock this morning. I don't know, my body hates me for some reason. I just, it's just the way it is now. I'm old or something. So I'm, wait, I'm up there, I'm just laying in bed and I'm thinking, just start thinking about the sermon and go, okay, here we go. Uh, here, so this is what came to my mind as I was thinking this morning. Um, like I thought, when, did, when has the Bible actually done the things that it's saying in my life? And I can distinctly remember, and I'll probably remember this for the rest of my life, that when I was in Bible college, so I, I, I knew pretty into high school that I was going to be a pastor, that God was calling me to that. Went into Moody Bible Institute as a freshman, and I was carrying into that a whole lot of bad theology. And all of us have bad theology to some degree or another. I'm sure I still have bad theology in some areas of my life that just haven't been seen yet. But I walked in to a freshman class, a freshman level class, and the professor, Dr. Kessler, I'll never forget this man. He was a very kind, kind dude. And uh, he was teaching us through a passage, Ephesians chapter 2, actually, uh, 1 to 10. And it confronted me with something that I did not believe. Like what it was clearly saying is not what I thought about, about this stuff. So I went up to Dr. Kessler afterwards and I said, hey, here's my problem. This is what I think and that's not what the Bible says. And he just looked at me and said, well, who do you think is wrong? And that's, that's, that was what I needed to hear in that moment, right? Like, I needed that as an 18-year-old. I was like, oh, yeah. Obviously, if I disagree with this, I'm wrong. It's not wrong. So that's, what, that's reproof. It, it corrects us. It, that's the next thing, right? It corrects. For correction, it's profitable for correction. So what's the difference between reproof and correction? Well, reproof is confronting us with our wrong beliefs, Correction is helping us get back on the right path. Correction has to do with repentance. It has to do with how the, how the Bible helps us get from where we are over in this wrong area to get into the area that is right. And, and here's the thing. Every single one of us is in need of transformation and change and correction. We all need the Bible to help us get to where God wants us to be. That maybe through reading it and being convicted of sinful behaviors in our life and then repenting of those sinful behaviors to walk in, in, in righteousness and under Jesus. It could be that. It could be doctrinally that we're wrong and we need to start believing rightly. It could be all kinds of things, but the Bible corrects us. It shows us the errors of our ways, but it points us to the hope we have in Jesus. 
The Bible will never leave us stranded in the middle of an ocean without a, a recourse, so without a, a path to take to get to hope. It will get us there because that's what correction does. Correction takes someone who's wrong and doesn't just say, you're wrong. That's reproof. That's rebuke. It says, you're wrong. Now let's correct this and get you over here. And that's where the Holy Spirit will draw, draw into our lives and help us get on the right path. And that's where it goes in this last, this last characteristic, that it's profitable for training in righteousness. The Bible shows us what's right, shows us where we're wrong, gives us a clear path to Jesus so that we're corrected, and then it helps us to actually walk in the right way. We'll never do it perfectly. We'll never be totally on this side of heaven without struggles or sins. But the Bible is God's primary tool to help us actually walk in righteousness, to be trained to live a life that honors Jesus, even if that's imperfectly lived by us. And I really do think that we, we need to recognize God's slow and gracious work in this. I don't think anybody, almost, no, almost nobody changes complete course overnight. It's a slow and gradual process that God takes us through his word. And I love what Martin Luther says about this because it's, it's and, I, and I've said this a number of times from, from the pulpit here, it's just so helpful though that Martin Luther shared that if, if he, if God had given you all of your sin all at one time, it would have killed you. You just wouldn't be able to handle it. Like we're so, we're so in need of grace and change that if God just plopped in front of you everything that was wrong with you in one single shot, you, you wouldn't be able to bear the weight of that. And so what God does graciously, this is kind of paraphrasing <coughs> Luther, but he's basically saying that God drips these things into your life slowly. And they, they come to you in a season and you can work on this. And maybe you're blind to the other things that he's going to get to in 20 years, but for now, this is what he's working on. And you're going to work through this in the scriptures and hopefully come to a place of repentance and change over time. And then eventually he'll get on to something else. Trains us in righteousness. Verse 17, here's the last verse we're looking at. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scripture, this is John Stott who said this, the scripture is the chief means which God uses to bring the man of God to maturity. Now, man of God in this, in this phrase or in this verse is, is sort of an allusion to the Old Testament prophet kind of idea. So he, he's speaking to Timothy in the unique role that he has. But the, the principle here is, is true for all of us, men, women alike. We all can have the same result, completeness, equipping for every good work. The Bible prepares us to do what we need to do to be mature Christians. And it is the chief way, the main way that God gets us there. So I want to conclude with this. I just want to read a, a little passage, a paragraph from uh, David, uh, Paul David Tripp. Paul Tripp, uh, he has a little book out um, on, on just 
basically the doctrines of, of Christianity. Um, but in his chapter on why the scriptures matter, this is what he says. And I think it's just a good way for us to close out our time. He says, how should we think about and approach God's word? We should first approach scripture with a deep and abiding sense of need. This means that every time we open the book, we pray that God would grant us open eyes and a tender, humble, and ready heart. It also means that we don't read God's word in a quasi-guilty sense of duty, this is what good Christians do sort of way. No, we approach our Bible reading and our study with heartfelt joy. What is the DNA of joy? The answer is gratitude. You never hear much joy coming out of complaining people. We are grateful for God's word because we find him there. We find his saving grace there. We find astounding wisdom there. We find guidance for our daily living there. And there we find hope to do it all again tomorrow. We must also approach God's word with commitment. We must commit to study it, but even more to submit our hearts and minds to what we encounter there. We must determine to fight in the power of God's grace any resistance we have to its message and its call. Finally, every time we encounter God's word, we covenant with God that we will seek to apply it faithfully and specifically to our own lives. This means we carry it out, we carry it out of devotions and into the places where we live, decide, speak, act, and react. That's from Paul Tripp. So here's the point. If you want to grow as a Christian, we need to get into the Bible. If you want to stay a Christian, which is the point of this whole book, we need to get into the Bible. It is the one thing that God will use to change your life more than anything else. The, and the point of the Bible is to point us to the true word of God, which is Jesus Christ. It's only in the Bible that you will clearly see what Jesus has done for you how he lived a perfect life and died in your place and rose again from the dead. That is what we see in the Bible. And he did all of that when you and I were at our worst, not at our best. 1 John 1, 4, 10 and 11, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us even when we did not love you. You loved us because we didn't love you, and you died in our place as a propitiation, as a sacrifice for our sins. You you took all of that upon yourself and you rose again from the dead and we praise you for those things. We pray that as you have drawn near to us in your word, that we will draw near to you through your word. And we ask that you would speak to us even now in the, to keep us away from guilt and shame, but to draw us to hope and love in you. We pray that you would do these things for us and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.